0: What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Araf, great news. We get to talk about a win. We get to be positive today. Ooh. Of course, that's of Dean. I'm JJ Durez, here to break down the recent news of avalanche land. And the recent, the most recent thing that happened was a entertaining, thrilling 4-3 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning on the road. We spoke last podcast about how all I wanted was one freaking win out of this little mini road trip here. They got it. I'm happy. No fuss from me. How are you feeling?
1: I want to quote the great Peter McNabb to start this show because he said something during the shootout yesterday that as soon as I heard it, it made me laugh because it was the most accurate thing I'd ever heard, even though it sounds hilarious to say it out loud. He said, Moj, if the Avalanche score and win – I think it was when Burakowski had a chance to win it all in the third or fourth round of the shootout. He said, Moj, if the Avalanche win this shootout, it makes – the." he said it was almost an okay road trip if the Avalanche could win this shootout. And I'm like, yeah, because they got cranked in Washington. They went back and forth with Florida, but never really had a hand on that game. Their power play was terrible. They started off against the Lightning with a power play that couldn't score on its first two opportunities, couldn't generate much of anything. And every time they got the lead, they gave up the lead. And every time they you know, scored again, Tampa Bay answered back. Then they pulled their goalie, tied it up literally right away when they pulled their goalie on a shot that looked way too easy for Braden Point. And then they get to the shootout. They can scrape out a win without getting the, the regulation win, which is what matters in the standings. And despite finally getting two points, it still doesn't make the road trip okay, but it's almost there. And I'm like, you know what, Peter, you're right. The Avalanche almost had an okay road trip, but the fact of the matter is, like you said, they got a win and that's all that matters.
0: I think my biggest takeaway from that game is how hard they had to fight to get that win, right? It did not come easy by any means. I mean, half the bench had a bloody face in some form or another by the time the shootout came around. And they they had to play physical. They had to play hard. And, you know, it makes me think of how a lot of times when you're the championship team, like the Tampa Bay Lightning are, right? Every team kind of uses your game as a measuring stick. Like, how close are we to being the Stanley Cup Finals or Stanley Cup champions even, right? So for Tampa Bay, they probably face a lot of tough games like that and a lot of hard games. And you could even see on Bo Byram's face, I think it was after the first goal, Bo Byron was so pumped. They cut to him on the bench, and he's high-fiving people. And you could tell there was a little bit more... I guess um, enthusiasm from the avalanche in this game. They really wanted this one. They really fought hard for it. And and I like to see that, right? Because that, that's just reminiscent of playoff hockey. That hard fought, you you might bleed a little bit, but at the end of the day, you got the win. And um, yeah, I, I think it's a lot to hang the hat their hats on. And I'm pretty proud of what they put together there on, in that little win.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Bowen Byram was getting in there physically with Patrick Maroon, with Corey Perry, a couple of guys that can mop the floor with him probably. But <laughs> the nuts
0: on that guy, right? He's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's chirping everybody, getting people's faces, making plays. He's not scared. He, he He's going to make some noise in his career. I mean, he's going to do big things just with that kind of confidence already.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's on the ice going head-to-head with Perry thinking, please, oh, please let Landeskog know what's happening so he can come in and help me. Please, please, please. please." (laughs) But no, like he he was just going after everybody. Gabe Landeskog had a bloody jersey by the end of the game. My favorite shot of the game is Gabe Landeskog needing to score on the shootout to keep the game going. And he's just coming out on the ice with this bloody jersey like, all right, what do I got to do to give us another chance to win this damn thing? And he scores and keeps the shootout going like it was such a nice goal, too. And then you had Sam Girard who got hit seemingly every time he had the puck all road trip, not just, you know, on Saturday. And then you had uh, who was the other guy? I think Miko Rantanen took a stick to the Miko his, Rantanen his took
0: nose. A, such a funny fall, too, in the corner. Remember? That's
1: what it was. It was the fall. Yeah. Yeah. He, his, his nose was also bleeding and. Yeah, there was just a lot going on there, but it was such a good game. Like, it was a lot of fun. It was really entertaining. It was playoff hockey, and it was the kind of game that could kind of jumpstart the avalanche, even though that's a very cliche and very reporter thing to say, here's a win, now they're going to go on a run. But, like, it just felt like that kind of game because... They couldn't do their avalanche thing that they tried to do against the Capitals and the Panthers. Try to run and gun, run and gun, turnover, turnover, turnover. A lot of them coming from Kill McCarr. Holy crap. He's been a little bit rough to start the year. Um, shaking off the cobwebs, obviously, not playing in preseason, but did they redeem himself do that.
0: with that winning goal, though. A, a, 100%. A
1: no, no, no. He had a good game against Tampa. He was all around good against Tampa, not just, uh, not just in the shootout, but, uh, they couldn't play that run and gun game. They had to go back to the basics, play physical against a team that learned that the hard way themselves, winning all these president's trophies and then losing and crapping out in the Western, in the Eastern Conference final or in the first round to Columbus. They played that physical game. Now they're coming home. They've got a tough, albeit slow starting Vegas team on Tuesday. And this is kind of the way you want to get started. This is the way you want to get going.
0: Right. It's a game like this is the perfect recipe to jumpstart your confidence and to jumpstart a little winning streak. You know, I know we're kind of not panicking, but almost panicking these last couple of games. I mean, it's only been a handful of games. It's a small portion, like a three game losing streak. Isn't anything to say the season's over yet. Right. So um, yeah, I think this is a great little game to jumpstart, especially facing a guy like Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky was unbelievable. He was himself. He was so tough to beat the avalanche. I think against an ordinary goalie might've had a, you know, at least five, six goals on him, but that's perfect for you to go up against a guy like that and then start facing some other challenging teams like Vegas, St. Louis, Minnesota, because I think if after you go up against a guy like Vasilevsky, all the rest of the goalies you're gonna face these next three games are gonna be easier.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you're coming in against the Vegas Golden Knights now. You got Robin Leonard. I, like I said, they've been slow starting, but it's been kind of And I think it's because
0: of Robin Leonard.
1: Yeah, he hasn't been good at all. I, I wonder if Lauren Lor- I wonder if Lauren Brossois gets a game in on tuesday if he doesn't play today against the islanders but when you look at the avalanche's schedule in the early going their first game of the year obviously home opener everybody's ready to rock they're playing mark andre Fleury, who they saw last year and they played great the landis suspension some covid stuff mckinnon's still out they pretty much shit the bed against the capitals and then they play the florida panthers who are kind of like the avalanche a team that's up and coming So that was a big litmus test, and they lost that. Now they're playing the Stanley Cup finalists, or the Stanley Cup champions, two-time reigning. They beat them. Now they get to play the team. Obviously, they played the Blues as well, who they had played in the playoffs. Now they get to play the team that eliminated them. Then they get to see the Blues again. Then they get to see their division rival in Minnesota. There's no easy games. We talked about this last episode. There's no easy games to start the season until they get to that you know, back-to-back against Columbus. And that's not a disrespect to Columbus. They've been pretty good this year, better than people thought. But that's a team you haven't seen in two years and a team you're not really worried about seeing in the playoffs. So you're going to play them twice and move on. Probably see them again in a year, a year and a half. So everything about this season has been a rough start, a hard start. and, And they answered the bell against Tampa Bay because... Let's face it. Like you said, a one, a, a three game losing streak is not the end of the world. Going one and three in a four game stretch is going to happen again. It's just the fact that it started the season with that stretch after a win opening night that makes it look so much worse than it is. So that was a big win against Tampa Bay. And, and they're just going to have to try to find a way to ride that streak because they got three really good teams here. Vegas, who hasn't started too well. They're also one and three and then two undefeated teams. As of this recording, they'll obviously have played more games before they meet. But as of this recording, Minnesota and St. Louis are both
0: 4-0. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest facets you can directly point to is the top guys being top guys, right? I mean, go through the three goals that they scored during regulation. Gabe Landeskog, Miko Rantanen, and Nathan McKinnon. So all three of your big guys getting goals, chipping in, and and kind of doing the work necessary. Yeah, I think what they showed against Tampa, again, I, I think Tampa is a little bit, uh, I don't want to say a little bit, I say significantly weaker than they were come Stanley Cup time last year but to get a win like that it's just great for the confidence and great for the direction that they're heading I think that that was the most pivotal win and honestly could have saved the start of this season here
1: I mean the lightning are exhausted and understandably so but they I mean look the avalanche we're sitting here talking about their depth which we're gonna have a good conversation about later today because they lost Brandon Saad who was there for a grand total of one shortened season and Jonas Donskoy as well as, you know, Belmar and some depth guys on the fourth line. But those are the two main from your top nine, Donskoy and Saad. Tampa Bay lost three, and they lost three guys that are better than Donskoy. And, you know, debatable if they're better than Saad. I think I'd take Yanni Gord over Saad. But Blake Coleman, Yanni Gord, and Barclay Goudreau, three really, really good guys in entire line. So they're kind of going through an adjustment period of their own. But the cool thing about looking at the Avalanche's top guns is Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Gabe Landeskog, Kale McCarr, and then your goalie in Darcy Kemper. Every single one of those five guys played a part yesterday. The other four that I just mentioned before Kemper, Makar in the top line, they led the team in ice time. And those four guys scored every goal, including the shootout. Because in the the game, in regulation, obviously it was Landeskog, it was Rantanen, it was McKinnon. And then in the shootout, it was Rantanen, Landeskog, and the winner from Makar. Those four guys needed to step up, and they did. And the guy in goal was the, is, you know, as much as we want to say that Kemper is maybe a rental, he's just another goalie. He's this, he's that. Anytime you're a Stanley Cup contending team, your core consists of your long-term guys that are going to be there forever. And no matter who your goalie is, whether he's a guy like Vasilevsky, who's one of your core pieces or a guy like Kemper or Grubauer, who's a plug and play type of piece, he is automatically part of your core. Because if you want to win the Stanley Cup, you need a goalie to, you know, be a, a, good a decent goalie like it's just the reality the goalie is gonna matter it's if you have a goalie it's like 70 percent of your team but if you don't have a goalie it's 100 percent of your team that's just the way it goes that's a quote from god knows who said it once but that's the reality so all four of those top guys and darcy kemper all stepped up against tampa and as much as we want to talk about the depth and who the avalanche lost and what's happening on the bottom lines if your top guys don't go you're not gonna win And that's the reality. We saw it for the first four games of the season. We saw it with Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon posting minus five ratings against Florida. They all picked it up against the Lightning, Stanley Cup finalists or champions, and they beat them.
0: I think it was two seasons ago that you really saw, you know, it was either or with an avalanche game. It was either the top line performing and nobody else or the depth performing in the top line was absent. So you got to be really careful to not fall into that trap again and make sure when the top line is buzzing like they were against Tampa Bay that there are other guys chipping in and then you're practically an unbeatable team. That's when they're at their best, right? So... Um, yeah, just got to make sure that this doesn't become a habit. It's okay to get them out of this rut and beat a really good team like Tampa Bay. But moving forward, I want to see uh, some other names get on the score sheet, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in opening night, it was Nazem Kadri because McKinnon wasn't there. We saw Bowen Byram, who, by the way, is quietly pitching in points almost every game. He's got four points now, a goal and three assists. And boy, does he look good. He's looking like a great player in his second season. So... You want to see the guys pick it up. You want to see guys like Logan O'Connor and Darren Helm and Tyson Jost get rewarded for the many, many, many chances they've had. Just a fun line to watch. JT Comfort's got four points. We're only five games in. That's great. So some guys are picking it up, but there's a few names out there that are still, you know, struggling mainly on uh, the second line. Andre Burakovsky and obviously Nachushkin's been out since the first game of the year. So it's kind of that that second line has been in shambles since opening night because... They, they couldn't really ice a real second line opening night because Kadri had to move up to the first line. And then finally, when Kadri was ready to move down to the second line, well, now suddenly Landeskog was serving his suspension and now Nachushkin's out and everything's just kind of out of whack. So it's the 91 and 95. It's Kadri and Burakovsky. You want that duo right there to pick things up a little bit together. We saw Kadri do it without him, but you want to see him do it with 95. And now suddenly you have two scoring threats alongside the fact that Comfer and Jost and Helm and O'Connor and all these... Depth pieces are have been pitching in pretty well so far.
0: Yeah, still got some work to do. Still have a few things that need to be put together a little bit better. But you know, I think for being where they are, it's it's not a bad spot, and those things will continue to improve. And you know that the mantra right now in in that locker room is we got to work harder. Right. And you know that's gonna come. So all this stuff is gonna slowly fix itself as we're seeing. The top line has fixed itself. Now it's time to move to the second line. So um yeah, just gotta have a little bit of patience and, and believe in the message that Jared Bednar preaches to the team, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean it's a process. In the end, that's the way it goes. And you just gotta make sure that when you're going through that process of trying to shake the cobwebs off, like I said last time, you just you don't come out of it like one, seven and two or some crazy record like that. You keep yourself as close to 500 as possible, which that win yesterday was crucial in doing so because two and three looks a hell of a lot better than three games under 500 at one and four.
0: While being positive was fun, let's uh, take a, a small snippet of our day to be a little bit negative and look at that Florida loss. Of course, Jonas Johansson was in net. Um, you know he played well enough to get the win. I don't think he was spectacular, though. Part of me still sits back and thinks, "Man, what if Francis was healthy enough to play? What would that game have looked like?" I don't know if it would have been that drastic of a difference, but it's still a thought in the back of my mind. So I, I can just we,
1: can we come to an agreement? Let's here. Here's what we got to do here. I'll make you a deal. I am willing to admit that Jordan Bennington is pretty good. (laughs) If you are willing to admit that Jonas Johansson is a serviceable backup in this league, when called upon once every 5 or 6 games.
0: It's hard for me to argue that because his last what four outings have been victories. So uh, aside from that Florida Panthers, I think he finished the, the last season three with three wins, three, I think three outings. So his last four outings, three of them were victories and the one against Florida isn't anything you can really knock him for. So I guess you know, looking at the numbers, I I would want to agree with you but just He doesn't beat the eye test for me, right? It's just uh, he's a lot like Robin Leonard, in my opinion, where a lot of the saves he makes are more so him getting hit by the puck and just being in the right position, which... Is a great thing, but they're not necessarily him reading the play, him reacting, right, him just dropping down in the butterfly and getting hit by the puck. And that's what you see a lot with Jonas Johansson. You see it all the time with Robin Leonard. And it's just a, a gaping hole. It's he's really just relying on his size, which is a great feature of his. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's enough to get him by. That's why I love Fransu so much. He's a goaltender in the traditional sense, right? He he's got the reflexes, he's got the positioning. And has small size. I one
1: hundred I one hundred percent agree with you, and that's why I said he's serviceable when called upon every once in a while. Because let's face it, friends or not friends, who's Johansson has been with the Avalanche now for you know seven or eight months. He's five two and one before the season. Last year he was five one and one, and he had a shutout. And I know the Avalanche were posting great defensive efforts last year, but when you use Johansson six or seven times a season. Cause that seems about reasonable for where you want him to play. You hope Franzoes comes back and no other injuries happen, and Johansson ends up playing just one or two games. But later on down the line, Kemper might you know need a couple of days off or something, or might you know enter COVID protocol or Frankie or something. If you play Johansson in an 82 game season five or six times, size or not, skill or not, and he's going to give you a four one and one record, or play seven games and give you a five one and one record like last year, that's a serviceable third string goalie. It looks a hell of a lot better than the guy in Toronto that used to be here in Michael Hutchinson, who can't seem to stop a puck for the Maple Leafs every time they call on him. So, all I'm saying is just just let me have this. <laughs> just just agree that if Johansson plays every once in a while, that it's not the end of the world. This isn't Hunter Miska in net. No disrespect to Miska. This is a guy that can at least as cringy as it looks and as hard as it looks to watch him play, you can at least imagine and envision kind of like that florida game he just might actually scrape out a victory here and that's not something you could say about some third string goalies the avalanche have had before him
0: yeah i mean as long as it's in a limited capacity i guess i'm okay with giving him a shot here and there i i still don't like it and i think if you get to a point where you're at a francouz johansen tandem i think then you're really at a point where it's kind of worrisome so um, I, I'll give it to you. I'm fine with Johansson playing here and there, but man, you really got to make that limited as all hell.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah. And since you finally came around a little bit, I'm going to stick to my guns. Jordan Binnington sucks. He let in four <laughs> goals against the Coyotes. Get the hell out of my face. I don't care if he's 4 0 0. He's got a 275 goals against average and 919 safe percentage. They're not world beater numbers because the Blues are scoring seven goals a game. Anyways, let's talk about that Panthers game.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, like we pointed out with the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers game wasn't really much different, right? It just feels like this team is getting beat up again. And, you know, we got into this whole conversation last season about them possibly just not having the grit and the uh, size and the tenacity to, to be a playoff caliber team. But, you know, after the Tampa Bay win, I kind of take that back a little bit. But the Florida game kind of gave some worries there. I mean, you see a guy like Sam Girard in both games kind of getting tossed around, used to not be an issue for him. You know, his water bug, like evasiveness used to keep him away from trouble. But now you're seeing him kind of get rocked. So, you know, is the uh, size disadvantage something that we need to be looking at just yet?
1: I don't think it's a thing that we need to be looking at for the entire team as a whole. Because, I mean, one of the guys that was on my dream list of Avalanche picking up this offseason, and he's been having a great start to the season, is Connor Garland. And he's like 5'10", maybe 5'9". He's a small dude, but he plays tough. It's what you see in Logan O'Connor. It's what you see in JT Comfer. It's apparently what we have in number four, Bowen Byram. It's the same kind of game. But for someone like Sam Gerrard, it's getting a little concerning. And because it's throwing him off of his game, his confidence is kind of shot. He's not doing the Gerrard thing where he's doing a spin every game at the blue line. And he's got all this confidence and generating all this offense because the dude is getting wrecked every game. Like the, the Florida game, that icing call, I, I 100% think that should have been called an icing. That's the way that I see it. It 100% should have been called, but it didn't. And the way he fell into the boards I don't know if that should have been a penalty on the guy on the Panthers. I think the ref screwed up by not calling an icing, but he just kind of like, he was barely touched and just went crashing into the boards. He lost his footing. And then against the Tampa Bay Lightning, Steven Stamkos probably should have gotten a penalty for that boarding, but Stamkos hits you and you go falling into the boards that hard. I understand your numbers were facing the player. You were facing the boards. It's easy to lose your step. But every time he gets hit, he gets demolished because he's such a small guy. And that's the issue is that in past seasons, you know, before COVID kept him out of the lineup in 2021, earlier in the year, he was always the Avalanche's Iron Man. He never missed a game. And that was because, like you said, he had that water bug game. He always avoided hits. His hockey IQ was so much better. And he, you know, he didn't need the size because he just slipped through the cracks. He never got hit. Now he's getting hit every game. And if he's going to be playing 23, 24 minutes a night and getting hit like that every single game... He's not playing 82 games this season and and the Avalanche might have to end up limiting his role and you know putting Bowen Byram and Eric Johnson above him which would be hard to think because Sam Girard is such a minute munching defenseman.
0: Yeah, and I'm with you. I think it's 100% a confidence thing, too. I think this stems all the way back to last year's playoffs. I recall him getting blown up a couple times there, too. And if we look back, we remember Sam Girard didn't have a very good playoff stretch. Uh, He had a great regular season, but the playoffs were kind of tough for him. And that wears on you, right? I mean, you, you start to get tossed around and it really hurts, you suddenly don't have the confidence to make some of the plays you used to, or, you know, you, you don't want to be in the vulnerable positions that you used to get yourself out of. So, um, yeah, that's a, it's a tough thing for Sam Gerrard. I hope he gets out of it because I I think it's a tough hill to climb.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And right now, you know, the Avalanche are kind of rich on defense. They obviously have, uh, Devon Taves who hasn't played yet, but once he comes back, you have McCarran Taves, you have Byram, you have Eric Johnson, Ryan Murray and Jack Johnson have been serviceable third-pair defensemen. That's where you would like them to stay. And then you also have Sam Gerrard. So there's a ton of options there, but you also have a guy like Justin Barron who's going to be here eventually in the next year or two. So if Bowen Byram, with that small of a body and that small of a frame, obviously he's going to continue to grow because he's so young. But if he continues to play the game he's playing, pitching and offensively like he is, but playing with that physicality and that edge that Byram is playing with, it might eventually make Sam Gerrard expendable. And I'm not trying to run the guy out of town. And it's definitely not something you look at this season. Absolutely not. Because the Avalanche's defensive depth is what makes them as strong as they are. They just haven't showed it yet. But maybe down the line, that's the guy that might be on the odd man looking out. Because, you know, we've said it before. You can't have Sam Gerrard, Bowen Byron, and Kel McCarr all playing big minutes. They're just not the biggest guys. So who's going to get eliminated from that bunch? It's looking more and more like it might be Gerard, especially if Justin Barron becomes the player he was. So that's obviously a conversation for the off season or in two years from now or whatever it may be. But right now you just want Sam Girard to get that confidence back because what we saw from him last year in a 56 game season, especially in like the first 30 or 40 of them before his game started to kind of tail off heading toward the playoffs, he was one of the better defensemen in the NHL and and, you know, it was a conversation to be had of if he can make Team Canada even because of how well he played. Obviously, it was announced last week that Sam Gerard, uh is not on Team Canada's long list, so he will not be at the Olympics for sure. But for a little while there, he looked like he was a pretty dominant defenseman, and and it's a confidence thing. It's not, you know, he's not over the hill or, you know, past his prime. He's still the same young buck he was last year, and by last year, it was literally six, seven months ago. So... You just want him to get that confidence back and get his game going.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you and I, I agreed. You know, I don't think the Avalanche would entertain getting rid of him for no reason. But considering they are very defensive heavy, and you, you want to balance it out, and it's my opinion that you know the the fo- the weakness at the forward positions right now are kind of going to be the downfall. So you know, you're going to have to give to get. So I, I think that would be a pretty reasonable option. But you know, with Sam Gerrard, sometimes I question. His love for the game, you know, I know he he obviously loves playing hockey, but sometimes I think that the uh, the NHL level and these kind of physical, this kind of physical play is not exactly what he wants to do in life. I think he's doing it because it's what he does best and he knows nothing else. But, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, and I have on, I on good for... information, I have on good information that that it wears on him, that the NHL game does wear on him but it absolutely does he's 59 mentally i mean mentally
1: yeah because because physically when you get beat up it's going to wear on you mentally as well but he's 59 100 something pounds plays 23 24 25 minutes a night uh 82 games a year and then comes a COVID season where it's every other night i mean we were all mentally exhausted last year so i could see that being kind of an issue for him and and you know if you have somebody who's who's on the inside letting you know that that could be a thing then then i have no reason to doubt that we know gerard is very connected with the beer league community in colorado he tends to be around the rinks quite a bit exactly (laughs) it is a little bit concerning we'll just leave it at that it is a little bit concerning but you know, the conversation of if he's going to play out his seven-year contract with the Avalanche is a conversation for another day. Right now, what you want from Gerard is for him to find that confidence to start dipsy doodling. We're five games into the year. We haven't seen that Gerard. We've barely seen that McCarr and McCarr's slowly shaking off the cobwebs of missing the entire preseason. But we've seen a little bit of it from Byram. Uh, we, we saw Jack Johnson score a beautiful breakaway goal, but we haven't seen that from Gerard, and And that's a little bit of an issue because last year he was on the puck. Every single time he was on the ice.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to just point the finger at Gerard here, too. You know, uh, I went down and broke down every single goal that's been scored on Kemper, and I'm a little bit worried about just the defensive play as a whole from the entire team, not just guys like Sam Gerard and Kale McCarr. But of course, before we get into that, I got to tell you guys about our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. NFL fans, if you're hungry for a big win this week, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, it's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Those are so fun. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS to bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and then you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. That's simple with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL.
1: Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700.
0: Darcy Kemper, Arif, time to get into him, right? I think he's been kind of underwhelming for Avalanche fans. We dove into him a little bit. But then you sent me a tweet from Mike Kelly, who covers the NHL at various outlets. And he kind of broke down that uh, Darcy Kemper is getting scouted as being weak on the blocker side, right? And, um, you know, I think if you go back and look at the goals, there's kind of a lot to support that. So, yeah, kind of talk about the tweet a little bit before we get into really diving in to all the goals Kemper's led up this year.
1: Yeah, so it basically broke down the goals that Kemper has let in—all nine or ten or eleven or twelve of them, or whatever it was—and just where they're coming from. And and Mike Kelly pointed out that nine of the twelve or nine of the thirteen—I forget how many it was exactly—before the Tampa Bay game, nine of them had come blocker side high, or sorry, eight of them had come blocker side high, and nine of them had come blocker side in general. And then you think back to those goals. You think back to Justin Falk. Just kind of. Shooting it right past his blocker and 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 those kind of tallies. We saw Kuznetsov score a goal like that, or maybe it was Kuznetsov. One of the guys on the Capitals, where it just kind of looks like, you know, it should be a clean save and it just breezes by him. And uh, there's starting to be a little bit of an issue there with his blocker. I kind of wanted you to break it down because you're obviously the goalie. You understand the technique, you know, a lot more than I do. But this is a conversation that you know, I'm sure someone like UC Parkula has already picked up on it because we saw the kind of changes that Semyon Varlamov made to his game over the years. His glove side was a bigger issue. And I think it was Francois Allaire that helped, you know, Varley with his glove side and had him start to bring it up here, like way up by his face, holding that up. Which he's since changed. Which he's since changed, obviously. But that was a way to kind of break him out of the habit of just keeping his glove down and not really using it was he got that glove way up here by his face, to basically have it always ready to make a save. So there's something to be said about Kemper's blocker side, and I kind of want you to get into it.
0: Yeah, so I think there's some traction there. Um, Let me break it down for you what I saw. So, so far, Kemper's been scored on 14 goals. Those stats that you were repeating were obviously before the Tampa Bay game. So 14 times he's been scored on, nine of which have been blocker side. Of those nine... I'm going to fault him for five of them. So I think there is some basis there. I think his blocker is something that is getting picked apart right now. Now, of those 14 goals, six of which have been on the rush. You know, I'm seeing the avalanche kind of weak in that category. Once the team's across uh, that blue line, it's taken them two to three seconds, and the puck's in the back of the net. So, you know, that's something they need to tighten up right there. Only two goals allowed on the PP by Darcy Kemper and three PPB in the power play. Um just reading my notes here three power play goals have been let up total so you kind of got to feel good about the power play numbers there so far so can't blame it on the power play um four of those shots that were scored blocker side were from the point and almost the exact same spot on the point that just that Justin goal, shot yep that was yep. one of them Braden point had one um yep who else had
1: one who was the guy on the capitals it wasn't Kuzi. It was, or maybe it was Kuznetsov. I think he had a multiple goal game. Yeah, he had two. Uh okay, yeah. He had two. His first goal was when he split the defense, and his second one was that shot. I kind of remember it right now. Right,
0: absolutely. K- Kubalek's the first goal of the season was from the point. Um, yep. you know, there have been a handful that have been scored from the Peron had one. Um, yeah, so the point is is obviously a point of weakness here for this team because on those four shots from the point. Darcy Kemper was being screened. Now, of course, you don't want to make excuses. You should learn how to fight through screens. But at the same time, you got to be good at screening if you're going to go block the shot, right? You got to go all out. You can't just half-ass a block shot because that's how you end up screening the goalie. So four of those being screened, I would really say 11 of them, though, 11 of these 14 goals were blunders by the Colorado Avalanche in some facet not just on Darcy Kemper of course he's the last line of defense it's his job to stop pucks so I'm not trying to make excuses for him I think he does need to do better in the blocker side but 11 of these 14 goals were either turnovers mishandled pucks or screens just poor or you know the Kuznetsov goal that you mentioned he got lost right he went from the slot and was able to skate all the way around the top of the circle untouched and just walked right in for a open shot so sniped and blocker side but it was uncontested so i'm i'm seeing a a a plethora of problems here a the rush b just mistakes that are being made and taken advantage of and then third thirdly is the blocker side of darcy
1: kemper i think there is an issue there it's team defense and that's what it is it's these are the things that the avalanche were not doing last year and it's kind of hard to sit there and look at Kemper and look at his numbers. Obviously, it's a small sample size. It's only four games. You can pull up any four-game stretch of any goalie and find numbers that look like this. But you can't just look at Kemper's numbers and then look at what Grubauer had last year and be like, God, we should have kept Gruby. It, it's not the same because Gruby was getting the respect of his team in the sense where they were they were playing so much better in front of him. And I mean, Grubauer's is facing the same issues. Now he's playing in Seattle on a team that doesn't play as good as the Avalanche did last year. And look at his numbers. It's the same thing we're seeing with Marc-Andre Fleury with the Blackhawks compared to the Vegas team defense. And it's the issue that we're seeing here with Kemper. Like Kemper's probably sitting back thinking, I saw the way you guys played for the last guy. Give me a couple games of that. If he was letting in one goal every 25 shots, I will put up a shutout every single freaking game and be better than him but you guys got to give me that level of game. And that's the issue is he hasn't been facing 25 shots a game. The Avalanche have been getting outshot by a lot from the first 10 minutes of opening night because 10 minutes into opening night, the Avs had a three to nothing lead and a 17 to two shot advantage. From then until now, they've been outshot by more than 40 shots. And that's not something you see from this team in four and a half games or four games and 50 minutes. So... There's a big issue there for the Avalanche. It's their team defense. It's, uh, you know, there's just a lot of cobwebs that need to be shaken off. That's kind of been the theme of the beginning of this season. And a lot of teams are seeing it. Vegas is one and three. Uh, The Islanders are two, two and one. Tampa Bay has not had a lead in regulation all year. And if they won yesterday's game in the shootout or in overtime, it would have been the same thing. No leads, just get it to overtime and win it there. So there's a lot of issues happening right now for some of these teams for the Avalanche it centers around team defense. And, and once you get the team defense you know, going and and giving Kemper more help and the respect he deserves of the def- of the defensive gameplay in front of him, then he can start to work on that blocker side because that's an issue that you know UC Parkle is going to start to tackle. You know Kemper himself is going to go into practice. And I bet you when we go to family sports later this week, we're going to see him on that other sheet of ice all by himself with Parkle and probably Sean Allard focusing on that blocker side.
0: Yeah, I want to... Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's team defense for sure. Just team effort as a whole, right? I want to p- go back to that Tampa Bay game and Peter McNabb, again, he pointed this out. When they scored, I, fir- I think it was the Landeskog goal, the first one, when Bowen Byram ripped it at, you know, he dumped it in, but he dumped it in so hard, right? And Peter McNabb pointed out, they just got to work. This was hard work and the basics that got this goal done. And that's kind of what it feels like they're doing on on an off on, on a defensive standpoint, too. They're kind of overthinking it. They're They're forgetting that hard work is what makes results happen, and they're just kind of counting on the talent, right? They're like, oh, well, we got Darcy Kemper back there. I don't need to go attack this puck as hard as maybe I would have last year. But, um, yeah, once they get back to just getting hard work and and the basics and not overthinking things, I think that's when things are going to come a little bit more naturally, and that's just kind of what I feel is the issue right now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we saw them start to kind of shake off those cobwebs all throughout the lineup yesterday because even the Nathan McKinnon assist on that goal to Miko Rantanen, I mean, we've seen them do that a million times and we're going to see him do it a million times more. Circle to circle, one-timer, Rantanen down on one leg, boom, shot or on one knee, shot, goal. But what set that up was Nathan McKinnon being like, you know what, I'm the fastest guy on the ice and I'm going to do that here and prove it here picked up the puck, turned on the speed, went way down to the offensive zone, generated a two-on-one because of his speed, got the puck to ran in. And you want to see more of that. You want to see them working hard for their goals. The Landis goal was the same thing. The McKinnon power play goal was the same exact thing. Uh, you know, and, and then in the shootout, obviously the shootout's kind of a coin toss, but those are the kind of plays you want to see. The goals aren't going to come easy. You know, despite what you saw opening night, the first 10 minutes, 17 shots and three goals, Jack Johnson even scoring and getting a breakaway goal, despite what you saw in uh, all of the regular season last year, where you were out shooting teams by two to one and three to one and really just, you know, playing with them. You're back to an 82 game season. You're back to seeing teams you haven't seen in a while. And, And Washington caught them by surprise. So did the Panthers. And then the Avalanche finally decided, hey, we need to beat one of these teams. And they did it against Tampa Bay. But you can't take these teams for granted, the ones you don't see often. Yeah, you have Vegas, St. Louis, and Minnesota coming up, and those are teams you played a lot, but then comes Columbus. You can't just look at the standings and look at their roster and be like, yeah, we're going to beat this team because if you think like that, Columbus is going to outwork you because that's what they do. They outwork teams. And then if they have any kind of defensive mishaps, they got a guy named Elvis Merzlikins who's stopping pretty much everything right now. So you need to make sure that you develop those habits now because that's what's going to win you games no matter how skilled you are.
0: I'm just wondering what's going on because that's Jared Bednar's brand of hockey. That's what he's preached for the last what 6 years that he's been here. Um what's changed? Why why have we gotten to this point? How has how has the message to the team suddenly seemed like it's not as effective anymore? Right, Jared Bednar preaches hard work constantly. He's got to be the most frustrated guy by the the losing streak there. So, you know, ho- hopefully it just kicks back into gear and everybody kind of remembers the way they're supposed to play and Don't take the uh, 82 games for granted because the end of the season is going to sneak up on you faster than you think.
1: Yeah. And I don't think the message has kind of gotten lost or has gone dry with the team in terms of what Jared Bednar is trying to preach. I think it's more or less just it's an 82 game season. You're going to have stretches like this and the team just kind of came out flat and it's ultimately what it is. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm riding a lot of confidence off a game that was a coin flip in the shootout because if they lost that shootout, we'd be sitting here talking a lot more negative than we are positive because it would have been a four-game losing streak, oh three 3 one stretch. Instead, Gabe landis kept the shootout going. Kale McCarr won it for them. So now suddenly you're going into these next few games with a little bit of confidence, but that's all it takes. It takes a coin flip like that to give you a little bit of a a, a positive mindset to go in and win a few more games. So... To me, it wasn't just the fact that they won. It was the fact that they won after developing better habits. And those better habits are what you're going to need against Vegas and St. Louis and Minnesota these next three games. So I think the Avalanche just came out flat. I don't really think the message went dry with them.
0: Well, that being said, we talked about the importance of the depth while the top line was running, right? Well, I feel like the top line might be back. And until I see otherwise, you know, we don't really have to throw any stones at them but let's look at the depth issue I mean there's a lot of guys moving up and down the depth chart and uh some guys not really performing you know I think Maltsev is a guy that stands out I think he made two plays specifically that ended up in a Tampa Bay goal yesterday so I'm not liking what I'm seeing from him and you need other guys to step up you're still waiting for Ranta and uh, you know
1: among other names yeah and and Maltsev played six minutes so that should tell you all you need to know about you know his game so far it's Look, the Avalanche have a lot of guys that we know who can perform. They have their top six, and the weakest of those guys is Valerie Nichushkin, who's still a serviceable NHLer. Then your next level, your next echelon of players consists of JT Comfort, Tyson joe Logan O'Connor, and Darren Helm. Those are 10 very good forwards. Now, here's the issue with the Avalanche's depth this year. They were riding on Mikhail Maltsev to be a serviceable NHLer, which, by the way, he still could be and probably will be later this season. He just hasn't shown it yet. And they were riding on Alex Newhook to not just be a good player, but like a good top nine guy. And he's not done that. And then obviously you've had some issues with Martin, with Martin Kaut when he plays. You've had some issues with Sampo Ranta when he plays. Well, now suddenly all this depth that the Avalanche thought they had is 10 forwards and then plug and play for the rest. Like we saw Jason Megna. obviously right now Nichushkin's out. So you had Megna along with Ranta and uh, Maltsev playing yesterday. You had you know, Martin Kaut show up for a couple games, replacing Megna here and there. But we saw Megna play 10 minutes. We saw Maltsev and Ranta get six. That's a little bit concerning because the Avalanche right now, if Jason Megna's is your 11th best forward and 10th best forward when Nichushkin is out of the lineup, that says to me you have depth issues. That says to me that a couple of guys that you were relying on, like Alex Newhook and Mikhail Maltsev, suddenly aren't what you thought they would be, at least not right away. And there's a little bit of an issue there. And, and, and that's something that's going to be a little concerning. Obviously, that could be fixed in the blink of an eye with a waiver wire pickup or, you know, just a small trade here or there. Trade a third rounder for insert depth name X at the trade deadline. And that fixes that issue. But for once, the Avalanche have a depth issue that they didn't have in past years. Like, this is a problem that I've I've not liked with the way the Avalanche have handled the sal- the, the trade deadline over the last few years is every time they went into the offseason, And or to the trade deadline and you expected them to make a move for a big name to bolster the top of the lineup and, you know, provide a little bit of help to that to the depth core on the bottom, which you did have depth. Every single time you expected them to trade for a big name, they traded for a depth piece like Derek Broussard or Vlad Nemesnikov or Carl Soderbergh, so on and so forth. But now this year you expect them to you hope that they're going to trade for a big name. But on top of needing that big name, they actually do need to go out and trade for a guy like Nemesnikov. They do need to bring in a guy like Soderberg or Brassard because they're lacking the depth right now and that's going to hurt them if they don't have 12 guys that could operate. And that's if they're all healthy. As we're seeing with Nachushkin out, suddenly you're already down a guy and now you have three forwards that you don't really want to be seeing in your lineup.
0: Yeah, it feels like a plug and play, hope and pray kind of idea, right? You're pu- You're plugging them in and just hoping they don't mess up and And it's going to hurt them more this season. You know, we've been preaching it for the last few podcasts now in an 82 game year, you know, either you're going to have a lack of guys to put in when injuries happen or when if there aren't many injuries, you're going to be overplaying your guys because you don't have the confidence in the depth. So, yeah, that's an issue that needs to be resolved sooner than later.
1: And I mean, this is an issue that's going to be a little bit more deep rooted, even if you solve it, you know, sooner than later for for guys this year, some guys to plug and play this season. Uh, number one, I will say Darren Helm has been a breath of fresh air. I didn't expect him to be this good, and he's been great. So shout out to him. Logan O'Connor's taken that next step. Tyson Jose looks better than last year, and JT Comfort looks way better than last year. So that's really, really good for the Avs depth. But the problem is, we've talked about this. When you are a team that has guys making as much money as they do at the top, which, by the way, those four guys we mentioned earlier in the episode, Miko Rantanen, Gabe Landis-God, Kyle McCarr, and Nathan McKinnon. Those are your four highest paid players. Those are your core. And McKinnon's 6.3 is probably going to nearly double here in the next couple years. So when you have guys making that much money at the top, you need to be able to supplement them with prospects on entry-level contracts. And right now, the Avalanche have an entry-level contract issue because Sampo Ranta hasn't been playing too well. Newhook didn't really... Pan out after training camp. Obviously, again, I'm not calling these guys bust. They could still be good players, which they probably will. Mikhail Maltsev's making less than a million dollars and he's not really helping out too much either. So, Martin Kaut is another one. These guys that are on ELCs need to be able to come in and pitch in, and they're just not getting that right now, the Avs. And, and that's going to be an issue because you can't keep signing guys like Darren Helm to a million dollar contracts, 1.5, 2 million, because that's what Toronto does because Toronto doesn't have any good prospects in their system. And we're seeing what that does to that team. So you just can't have that happen with the ads. I guess
0: that's one of the downsides of your window being open right now, right? Time is against them. They don't have that luxury. You always think back to Miko Rantanen's ELC year. And while he probably deserved to be in the NHL, they saved a year uh, by keeping him in the AHL because they they, they were bad. They didn't need him to come up and, and make noise, right? They could let him develop slowly. Whereas Newhook, Ranta, their windows now, they kind of need somebody to step in now. And they're kind of thrown to the fire when maybe they're not ready. So yeah, I guess that's just the luxury that the Avalanche are missing right now, is is time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But you know, you're you're you kind of hope at least Newhook can find his game. Mm-hmm. Like this is a guy, again, this is a guy that by game twenty-five of the season could get his confidence, come into the NHL and play forty-five games at half twenty-five points. Like that's still a possibility. He's just not showing it right now. He's not taking that step that Bowen Byron has taken. And that's kind of really it's showing a lot of how much that's affecting the Avs. Because if you have Newhook playing, you know, top six serviceable game right now, a hell middle six serviceable game, second, third liner, that could help a lot with all these issues the Avs are having. When the Chushkin being injured with Landis suspension, with McKinnon on COVID, to have Newhook to plug and play among those lines would have been so useful. Let's go back to one of those depth guys, Vladislav Nemesnikov. When the Az brought him in a few years ago, they stuck him in on the third line. Two days later, everybody was hurt. The dude was playing on the top line with McKinnon and he was (laughs) scoring like he was doing well at it. So you need a guy like that. You need a utility forward like that. You thought you might have that with with new hook and he hasn't shown it yet and then ran to beat him out at training camp. And Renta had an excellent start to the preseason, and it kind of simmered down as it went on. And it's kind of simmered way down here in the regular season. He's been pretty much not noticeable. Same with Martin Kaut, same with Alex, uh, same with Mikhail Maltsev. These are all guys that were drafted really high for the Avs outside of Maltsev. And you want one or two of them to pick up their game because that's going to be very necessary for them and very much needed, not just this season, but over the next couple of years, especially when McKinnon starts to make 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever the hell he makes on his next deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess from Hockey Mountain High, your homework in these upcoming games is to keep an eye on the depth, keep the, an eye on Kemper's blocker, right? Those are the two things that we, we've kind of emphasized the most today.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. And, uh, you know, we're not world breakers here with all the issues that we're catching. These are things that Bednar knows is happening. Uh, Ray Bennett, let's not even get started on the power play. That's struggling immensely, you know, outside of that McKinnon goal. There's a lot of issues that need to get cleaned up. The Avalanche don't have all season to clean them up, but they do have a little bit of time here to figure it out. Just don't fall too far behind. If you can stay around 500 as you get these things fixed, as I've said many times, that would be ideal.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, let's look ahead at the games we'll be watching and keeping our eyes on these things. Um, up first is Vegas at home, right? I think this is another good opportunity because Vegas themselves slow out of the gate and not really finding much goal scoring. They're generating a ton of offense. You know, they they get a lot of shots on goal, just not very threatening and productive ones. So I think considering the avalanche riding high on confidence, Vegas, not exactly, uh, you know, I guess they're kind of in the same boat right now, but I think you kind of have an advantage for Colorado being confident and having just beat Tampa Bay. And you're uh, getting some buzz out of your top line and and things kind of start to feel like they're heading the right way.
1: Yeah, and again, we're recording this before the Vegas Golden Knights play the Islanders at home. So if they beat the Islanders, go two and three, having beat a team that was in the Eastern Conference Final last year, they're going to have that same bit of confidence the Avalanche do heading into their matchup on Tuesday, which the Avalanche should have the upper hand because they're finally getting back home. But if the Golden Knights lose to the Islanders, they'll be one and four, and they'll be reeling after beating Seattle, just barely, by the way, in the one win that they have so far. So either way, it's either going to be a two and three Golden Knights or a one and four Golden Knights. That's a game for the Avalanche, especially given the way the playoffs ended last year, given the way Leonard has started his season. That's a game you got to have. And then comes the Blues, and then comes the Wild, two teams that have yet to lose as of this moment when we record where those are going to be tougher games. But if you play against the Blues the way you played down, you know, half your team last game and all the issues that you were facing and still almost managed to squeak out a point and send it to overtime, you should be able to beat them, even if it's on the road. And then comes the Minnesota Wild, which you haven't seen this year, but in the past, you've really dominated them in the regular season. So this could be a really good stretch for the Avalanche. If you win two of these three games, even if that only brings you to 500 record, assuming they're all regulation losses, Suddenly you're four and four and and you're feeling really good about yourself, you know, having cleaned up a lot of habits because there's no way you're going to win two or three, two of the three of these games without cleaning up those habits. And then now you got the Columbus Blue Jackets and you're feeling pretty good about yourself.
0: And of course, it doesn't hurt having the generous schedule that the Avalanche have right now, right? With a two day off right now. And then you got a handful of days off after this three game stretch here before you face the back to back with Columbus. And we've seen already this month, it's been pretty generous. So. They got to be feeling decently rested. They got their asses kicked a bit against Tampa Bay. So a nice day to recover, watch some football, hang out, and then get back to practice on Monday. And then
1: we'll be watching the game Tuesday and then probably back for you on Wednesday, I would say, right? Yeah, probably. That sounds about right for me. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the schedule is really going to help them around Columbus because, again, they have like four days off before the Columbus two games two days off in between and then like three days off after because the NHL was hoping to still be able to send them to Finland, which isn't going to happen. But by then you should hope to have Nichushkin, Fransuz, Taves all back, hopefully have no other injuries that have arised. And you know, you got a pretty good team and, and you're hoping that by then you've cleaned up the bad habits. You've fixed all the little issues you're having. Darcy Kemper's playing better. Fransuz is playing some games and you can start to really ride high after that Columbus series.
0: You think this is the week where we see Devon Taves? It sounded like he was so close to getting in on that road trip. I think so. I
1: think if he doesn't play against Vegas, he's going to play the game after that. He just he went on that road trip because they expected him to play one of those three games. It obviously didn't happen. But from what I've heard from Mike Chambers and Peter Baugh, who were both on the road trip, is he was doing everything that he should be doing at Morning Skate except for taking contact. As soon as he starts to take contact, he'll be ready to go. And that could be as early as tomorrow, Monday. He could take contact Monday at practice and... and do the morning skate Tuesday and play against Vegas. So I think he'll be back soonest, obviously, of the three. And then Nichushkin and Frankie will come probably sometime around or after those Columbus games.
0: Well, it is Sunday. And usually on Sunday, we wrap up our show with the Mile High Sports three stars of the week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Eric, I'm going to let you take these ones away this week.
1: So we're going to go a little bit off the board with some of these stars, but, you know, Considering the way the Avalanche have played, it's not your usual McKinnon, and McCarr, you know, three stars because those guys are just now starting to pick it up. We hope by next week that's what it would be. But right now, third star, we're going to go with Gabe Landeskog. He scored that shootout goal to keep the game going with a bloody jersey, just kind of had that look of a gladiator. But what I especially liked about Landeskog's game in general against Tampa Bay was he was back to doing that Landeskog thing where he just throws everything at the net. Some of those saves that Vasilevsky had to make against him, especially the one on that play where Gerard was, you know, hit by Stamkos, he was kind of caught by surprise. Like I wasn't expecting him to shoot there, and that's the game that you want to see—the game that throws everything he can at the net and and generate those offensive chances by doing so. So we're gonna go third star for Landeskog for that bloody jersey in the shootout to keep it going. Second star, Boeing. Wait, hold on, Marcus, let me sorry, comment, let
0: me comment. Ooh, uh,
1: went a little fast.
0: This is what I get for letting you take the reins here. I don't uh, know how to be a host. <laughs> Landeskog, you know, it was such a pitch, picturesque moment as he was skating up to take that shootout goal, right? With the bloody uh, face and the blood on the jersey, and in your mind you're like, well, you know, I know Landeskog takes a lot of shootout goals, but he doesn't have the most skill on the team, he's not You know He's not the guy that wows anybody with his hands. And then for him to go down and score that goal the way he did, such a beautiful goal. It reminded me of a few years back when Nolan Arenado was still with the Rockies and he had a game-winning run. I forgot what he did. He slid into home and cut up his eyebrow and he had blood all over his eyebrow. He's getting up screaming. It was similar to that, not as much intensity, but just kind of reminded me of that, you know, this is your warrior. This is your
1: leader. This is the guy you
0: want. With the
1: puck this right This is now. what it takes to win. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. And and that's, that's what you had from Landeskog there. So moving on to star number two, I think I kind of spilled the beans a little bit second ago, but we're going to go with Bowen Byram. Uh, he's playing with a lot of grit. He's got big balls going up against Patrick Maroon and Corey Perry, among others. And he's consistently putting up points. He's got a goal and three assists in five games. That's four points. That's a guy that had two assists in 19 games last year. Uh, he's starting to generate that offense, and you know, if, if things continue to go the way they're going with Sam Girard and they continue to go the way they're going with Bo, maybe he's going to be on that second power play unit over G in the, in the near future. But right now, Bo and Byram has been the most consistent defenseman on this team and he deserves every little bit of the praise he's been getting for it. I think if you look back in history at the I don't know what five
0: six years I've been doing the three stars of the week Nathan McKinnon is hands down the leader in stars of the week from my uh, high sports and like you said we weren't going with that typical because they haven't exactly deserved it but Bowen Byram I think has already been in our three stars of the week for the last three weeks so I think that says a lot about his game we're noticing him over here so you know here's to a future of more stars for Bowen Byram and hopefully Nathan McKinnon getting back in that mix.
1: Yeah, and Bo is, by the way, eligible for the Calder for the Calder Trophy this year. So you know, there's a guy that could be in the conversation for Rookie of the Year if he gets enough minutes. So we'll see how that. My shakes high out.
0: sports stars of the week, Calder Trophy. I don't know if they held the same. Weight.
1: I mean, it's not it's not as prestigious as the award that we give out every week, but you know, it's it's something he can at least have to show for <laughs> it. You know, we'll give him that. But uh, we're going to go to the first start here and I'm going to go way off the board and people are going to la da me for uh, that damn journalist from Detroit for saying this. But Darren Helm has been an absolute breath of fresh air because when Pierre-Edward Belmar signed two years, two million with Tampa, and then Darren Helm signed one year, one million with Colorado, in my head, I was like, why didn't they just bring back Belmar? Is it the extra year? Is that really what made the difference? But no, no disrespect to Belmar. That's a hell of a personality and a hell of a dude and a hell of a leader. But Darren Helm plays really fast. He's the kind of guy that he should be on your fourth line. But when you need him to play with faster players like Tyson Jose and JT Comfer, it fits a little bit more, a lot more actually, than someone like Belmar. And, uh, you know, the offense is coming slowly. He had a goal there a couple of games ago against the Panthers. Darren Helm did. And... Uh, I think it's only going to pick up from here. He's been awesome, really fast. Scores a lot of, uh, plays a lot of penalty kill minutes, um, scores shorthanded goals. Darren Helm, to me, because I've watched a lot of games in Detroit watching him play, has to have the NHL record for a stat that probably isn't kept, uh, kept track of. He has to have the record for the most breakaways on the penalty kill, that he doesn't bury. So you kind of want him to bury a couple of those, but that dude has a breakaway seemingly every time he's on the ice killing a penalty because he's so damn fast and he's so good with his stick and so aggressive on the kill. So he earns our first star of the week this week because I think he's, he's been a breath of fresh air for this team. And for him, especially his rookie season was the year the Red Wings won the cup. And then the next three or four years was as they started to dwindle down and then their playoff streak ended. And now for the last two, three, four years, he's been playing on a really bad Red Wings team. So for him, this has kind of reinvigorated his career to be back on a cup contending team. So more of what he's doing would be absolutely great. Him, Logan O'Connor, Tyson Jost, those blue collar guys on the bottom line, those, those are, those are who I'm rooting for right now, man. They've been awesome. They've been so much fun to watch.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what stood out to me most about his game is he's 34 years old, but he's not moving like it. I mean, you watch him skate and if you put him alongside Eric Johnson. It looked like they look like they're a 10 year difference where Darren Helm's actually a year older. older. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So it, I, I like the way he's moving and that caught me off guard. I like, I like what he's doing more of Darren Helm for me.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, it's the guys that make the less money that, usually have that extra pep in their step. And you know, Darren Helm makes a million. Logan O'Connor makes 725 K before his new deal kicks in next year, which by the way is a 50,000 fifty thousand 1.05. So it's not that much bigger of a number. And then Tyson Jost makes 2 million. So those three guys combined make a little bit less than what Jonas Donskoy provided or was making for the Avalanche at 3.9. Not that I'm saying that they replaced Donskoy as a whole, but those are three depth guys not making a lot of money for any Charles standards, really playing a tough blue-collar game, and that's what you want to see from your depth pieces.
0: Right on. Well, that's a good place for us to stop. Uh, we're reaching right about where we reach every Sunday, and I got to get my ass to men's league, Arif. I live for this. Go do it. This is my time of, the, time of the week to shine. So thanks so much for hanging out with us on today's podcast. We'll be back later in the week to break down some of the more results. But, um, yeah, if you made it this far on the podcast bless your pretty little heart. Hockey's for everyone. We got you.